Backchat. 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 Politics and current affairs. Backchat. 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 Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed, you are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs. I'm Swetha Das. And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. As always, we're going to give you the news you may not have heard on your airwaves. That's right. First up, we have Isabella Kwai, a reporter for the New York Times, who has a unique insight on the coronavirus pandemic after witnessing its impact in Hong Kong firsthand. After that, we have Cameron Cox, the CEO of SWAP, the Sex Workers Outreach Project to discuss the ways in which the coronavirus is affecting the sex work industry and why we should sit up and take notice. And as always, we want to hear from you. We've already seen pasta, flour and toilet paper disappear. What do you think the next victim of the coronavirus will be? Swetha, literally, I had to buy gluten-free buckwheat pasta yesterday because my local Woolies ran out of normal pasta. Yeah, that happened to me too. I've been forced into being a gluten-free hipster. Oh my God, I'd love that for you. Your gut will thank you. Okay, right. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Join in on the conversation. We want to hear from you. Text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. To show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks, Colin. Backchat. Your alternative to talk back. The coronavirus is starting to leave its mark on Australia's economy and healthcare, as well as shaking up our day-to-day lives. However, the virus has played out differently overseas. Our first guest was close to the heart of the action in Hong Kong, covering what was then an emerging international health threat. Isabella Kwai is a reporter from the New York Times in Sydney, and she joins us now. Hi there, Bella. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. So you were based in Hong Kong for a few weeks, working from the New York Times office there. What was it like being so close to the epicenter of the outbreak? So this was in February, and at the time, uh, the coronavirus was, you know, it was something over here in Australia. We sort of had an awareness about, we had about five or so cases at the time. It's very low. Um, and, uh, you know, going up, overseas to Hong Kong to help out with their coverage there, um, you know, people were very concerned about, you know, how to keep yourself safe and how to ensure you were taking all the correct steps to um, not, um, you know, get infected. The first thing I was struck by when I got there is uh, literally every single person was wearing a face mask, um, you know, on the train, on the metro, in the streets. It was very quiet. Um, and, uh, you know, as I was there, they had the first death from the virus um, in Hong Kong. Uh, they began to shut the borders down between Hong Kong and mainland China. And, uh, you know, people were practicing uh, social distancing um, without necessarily being told to do so because uh, Hong Kong has um, a lot of trauma it has to work through and uh, people were working through from uh, SARS and, uh, you know, a lot of the population remembered what that experience was like. So when the coronavirus uh, began to spread there, they um, immediately sort of began, you know, packing face masks. And, uh, you know, in terms of the similarities while I was there, the toilet paper uh you know, there was one evening where suddenly the grocery stores were full of people and then the next day the toilet paper was gone. Mm. So, you know, there are some universal um, trends. So what kind of challenges have residents in Hong Kong and China faced during the pandemic? 
so particularly in China, the measures that China has taken、um, have been very extreme. Some have called them draconian, and the you know many of the residents that have been in lockdown for over a month now.、Uh, I just read the news this morning of a Chinese Australian woman who went outside to jog and. Uh, as a consequence, lost her job. So people are taking the virus extremely seriously over there. But the government、um, has also imposed、um, measures that some have said, you know, have had a price, which is to、um, take away people's freedoms.、Uh, meanwhile, in Hong Kong,、um, you know, that city had been reeling very hard from the impact of the protests、uh, and. The, when the virus came along, you know, I had people tell me that it was sort of、mm. like a double whammy in a way,、um, and that they had been through so much. But in a way, you know, people also seem to、um, be quite resilient and say, "Look, we'll get through this." So I was quite struck by some of that、uh, thinking. You know, trying to stay、um, positive and see how. They could get through something like this together. That, that's so interesting, actually. Now that you mention it, they they did just come back from immense protesting.、Um, do you think it kind of put them on the back foot?、Uh, I think it was already at a point in Hong Kong where people were feeling、um, tired, and、mm. uh, you know, the virus had a way of also taking over the conversation.、Um, you know, before it was all about. The energy of the political movement there, and、um, it's, it's as if when the virus came along, it, you know, people felt like it sort of completely changed the tone of the conversation.、Um, I mean, there were still protests that broke out. You know, some some protests broke out outside the quarantine areas,、um, and people were very unhappy that they had quarantine sites close to where they were living and so on.、Um, there was a lot of fear and、uh, anxiety floating around, but.、Uh, You know, I think we haven't perhaps been as hit as hard by that in Australia. So、um, you've talked about Hong Kong's response to this pandemic.、Uh, How is it compared to what we've seen in Australia?、Uh, so as far as comparing to other countries right now, Australia has taken、uh, something of a middle approach. We haven't shut down schools yet.、Uh, you know, in Hong Kong, schools were shut. You know, pretty early on,、uh, I think it's now you know over a month uh, that uh, children haven't been gathering. Uh, also, uh, Hong Kong made the decision to shut most of its borders to China,、um, and you know people there even thought that they sat on that decision for much too long.、Uh, I think Australia now we've obviously you know essentially closed down any international travel, and we've got the benefit of being an isolated continent surrounded by ocean, but. Um, the government, you know, seems to be、uh, taking similar measures, but also,、um, you know, it's it's taken some time to think through them, and、uh, it has also seemed to be very focused on the economy. You know, we've got that stimulus package that's been announced, and、um, you know, just from watching the prime minister's、uh, press conference and the kind of things he's saying, he's telling Australians to take this seriously, but、uh, that. You know they are very, very、uh, worried about the economy and focused on making that strong. 
You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We've got Isabella Kwai from the New York Times Australia on the line speaking to us about the parallels and international responses to coronavirus. And we're asking you, join in on the conversation, share on the anxiety of the corona pandemic. Text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at Backchat FBI. Someone texted in, um, we're asking people, um, what do you think the next victim of the coronavirus is going to be after? to toilet paper and um, not gluten-free pasta. Yeah. Um, Linda McCartney and Harry Denniston have texted in. They said, I'm really enjoying sad carnivores getting meat cocked into veggie-veganism, <laughs> <laughs> which is so true. Uh, love that. What do you think will be the next victim? Text us in. Um, so, Isabella, you've written an article about the presence of a crisis line for medical workers in China. What does this crisis line do, and is this something we should consider implementing here? Mm. So, this uh, hotline is something that um, you know is one of many in China. As soon as the outbreak began spreading, um, people were, you know, as you can imagine, feeling really anxious, finding it hard to deal with just the thought of perhaps they had been infected. You know, the impact on family and friends. And um, and this particular crisis line is uh, aimed at medical workers uh, who are at the front line of. Uh, handling the outbreak, um, and essentially psychologists are uh, on call, and uh, people can call through at any time. And um, you know, the aim of this hotline is to be there and give them a space to express themselves emotionally. Um, and what I found really interesting is they don't only just have that crisis line where people can call through for five minutes or something and just say, you know, look, I'm feeling really um, tired, or you know, I just don't know how to go on. They also have uh, groups on um, the social platform WeChat where they would send guided meditations and clips of classical music, anything to sort of remind people to um, calm down or, you know, uh, take some time for themselves to make sure that they can try to be in a better headspace. Um, And, you know, the psychologists themselves, are. some of them were from the US, some of them are uh, from Canada. And, uh, you know, it's a volunteer um, system, so everyone, um, you know, wants to, I think, do something to try and contribute to um, getting past this crisis. So you had to be tested for coronavirus when you came back to Australia. What was that process like for you? Oh, God. Well, (laughs) you documented it on your Instagram. (laughs) I did. So it's quite funny because, uh, yeah, I just spent a couple of weeks in Asia came back and um, started to feel a little feverish and you know, that's the time where you kind of think, oh God, <laughs> let's um, just, you know, so I stayed at home and then at some point, um, you know, the most interesting part of it was when I mentioned to my friends and family I was feeling a little ill, immediately that news spread all mm-hmm. around and, uh, you know, people were very firm and saying, look, you should go get tested. At this point, I mean, I know it feels like an age, but this is, you know, at the beginning of March and we we were not, you know, the it had not been yet declared a pandemic, but um, the process essentially was I called uh, a hotline, a uh, health direct, um, spoke to a nurse after 20 minutes and they then recommended I go in and get a test. And, you know, that's a way to sort of uh, make sure that you don't go in and overwhelm the system and uh, you know one of the key reasons why is because I had traveled um, I then uh, went to a hospital to go to a clinic and get tested um, it was you know 
actually in Australia compared to a lot of other countries like the US right now, we have uh, access to testing. You know, I have seen that some of the lines are very long and, you know, the process can be a little unclear if you don't know where to get the information. But compared to other places, you know, we, we do have that um, option. Um, so that's something to note. And then, uh, yeah, essentially, you know, you get a swab stuck up your nose and down your throat. Yeah, it's Not pretty intense, I've heard. Like, yeah, it's right really, up your nose. Yeah. I, yeah, I know. And they tell you to stare at this really ugly painting while they do it to distract you. Um, and then, <laughs> Sounds uh, effective. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I know. I'm just giving you some details here. Thank you. Um, and then you have to go home and uh, it takes about two days for results to come in. So they give you a call. But during those two days, you have to assume that you have the virus so um all in all you know i was one of the lucky ones i don't i tested negative but you know there was a lot of time to just think about um you know some of the accessibility issues so one thing was you can't um they tell you not to take public transport or ubers to get into um the hospital or the clinic uh and make sure you wear a face mask but that's really difficult because not everyone has someone that you know owns a car and can drive into the clinic and yeah. make sure you abide by all the protocols. So um, for myself, you know, I uh, ultimately decided to wear a face mask, be very careful, and take an Uber to the clinic because I really didn't have a choice mm. if I did want to get the test. Um, and uh, you know, I think they probably could uh, endeavour to get results back to you faster because the longer you isolate and have to wait, the more chance there is for you to infect someone else but all in all you know it definitely reminded me um, of how anxious everyone around you was feeling and um, yeah how something like that can really make you realize you know my gosh you know what is my impact on society and other people yeah I can imagine that the moments waiting for those results would be very existential and you know he's hoping that um, the testing becomes as efficient as South Korea um, mm-hmm. thanks so much for talking to us today Isabel no problem. This is great. That was Isabella Kwai from the New York Times Australia, who has reported on and experienced the outbreak of coronavirus in Hong Kong and Sydney. Don't move that dial because next we've got another perspective on coronavirus, how it's affecting sex workers, their industry and their livelihood. We're also asking you to join in on the conversation. Uh, <laughs> you were just about to jump in there. That's fine. Um, how are you dealing with the anxiety of coronavirus? We're all in it together. I know I feel like everyone's talking about it all the time. I think so. But I just think we need to get it out there just like tell us what you think how you feeling um i have a i had a friend yesterday who actually went to el camino oh no like happy hour el camino during i mean so like bondi beach was packed packed to the rafters like i have friends who live (laughs) streets away from me who are like do you want to go for a picnic on the no no it's a panda i don't know okay well text us in 0409945945 or tweet us at backchat fbi but right now we're gonna go to a song this is talk dirty by doja cat catch you soon the, the Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons? Or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Fact chat, your alternative to talk back. While many of us are thinking about the ways in which the coronavirus pandemic is affecting our local grocers and cafes, there is an entire industry that is suffering in relative silence. 
The sex work industry is accustomed to catering for all types of physical illnesses, but social distancing and self-isolation has meant sex workers have been left in the lurch alongside many other industries. We have Cameron Cox, a sex worker and the CEO of the Sex Workers Outreach Project, to discuss how coronavirus isn't just affecting teachers and accountants, it's affecting the sex working industry as well. So hi there, Cameron. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. So can you give us an overview of how the coronavirus pandemic is affecting your industry? Okay. Well, first of all, we've all become experts on the best ways to reduce harms from the coronavirus, but we're also extremely worried about the effect that it will have on our businesses, both in the short term, as the virus is here and the pandemic hopefully passes, and the long term. We see economic downturns there will be in the economy. Our industry's already suffered greatly from the American laws of foster sister, which have made us very difficult for us to operate safely and to operate safely on the internet, where we mostly advertise. And of course, like everybody else, we were affected by the bushfires. So this is just a further blow to sex workers. But we're resilient. We've coped with viruses before, and we'll do it again. Sex workers have had to deal with viral outbreaks before, not to mention dealing every day with common sexually transmitted infections and strains of influenza. What what measures are already in place to protect them against the coronavirus? Um, to, to protect, there aren't measures being put in place from outside and we wouldn't like that to happen. We believe in self-determination, but we're putting our own measures in place and individual sex workers are making fully informed choices through the information that they get from us and other sex worker sources on how best to deal with this virus. So this is a tough time for the industry. What financial support avenues do the members of the sex working industry have to fall back on given the coronavirus? Um, only our own resources. And look, oh most of those were, were used up in, when Foster Sester was introduced and we basically lost our advertising and our businesses overnight about a year and a half ago. Most people haven't fully recovered from that. We would like the government to um, give us some support along with all other industries where people work in a sort of gig economy from day to day and have very little reserves. Um, we may have a glamorous sort of reputation of living in penthouses and flying around the world, but in actual fact, most of us are just hardworking tradespeople. Can, can you remind me what um, the Foster Festa... Uh, Foster... Is that Foster Sester is a law passed by the American Congress which basically re removed um, our ability to advertise on the internet for quite a while and we had to set up our own, um, again we had to set up our own um, advertising sites on the internet because they'd been banned by the American government and the American government basically owns the internet. It was a free speech issue as well but it didn't um, gain much attention. It does look like that law may be overturned in the um, Supreme Court of the US for being unconstitutional but we don't know yet. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Swetha and Shami. We've got Cameron Cox, the CEO of the Sex Workers Outreach Project and current sex worker to discuss the ways in which the coronavirus is impacting the sex work industry. So while many may see the impact of the coronavirus on sex workers as a niche or, you know, um, alternative topic, the sex work industry is obviously just like any other that is suffering this year. So why should our audience care and pay attention? Um, because, first of all, we're people just like you. We're an industry that's been around for a long, long time. 
there are quite a lot of us. You don't see us because we're fairly discreet about what we do and we suffer from a fair bit of stigma and discrimination from the rest of the population. So we usually carry our on our business really quietly but in New South Wales there are up to 40,000 of us and that's not an insignificant number of people. We have um, families to support, we have mortgages to pay, we have um, aged parents to look after just like everybody else. We have cats, dogs, um, we have people that we love and so uh, there's no reason that we should be overlooked. So some sex workers are turning to online spaces now, such as camming or making porn to keep up their income. You've mentioned uh, some uh, pushback around that. Uh, does this work carry any issues like privacy concerns for the workers? Okay, well, it does. Yes, it, it does. Okay, if you're going to go on camera on the web, obviously your privacy is going to be um, not so private. Um, and also, like, it's not... If 40,000 sex workers from New South Wales suddenly set up webcams, that market's also going to be flooded, and it's not a particularly um, a market where you make lots of money to start with anyway. So we, we're doing what we can, but really government support for us and all other people in the gig economy is essential. We've looked at the government support, and they are rolling some out, but there'll be people who fall through the gaps, and there's also time lags in getting that and there are people who are going to need and are already needing and coming to sex worker organisations right through Australia needing immediate relief. So what can clients do to help themselves and sex workers um, especially to help them stay safe during this time? Um, they can do what the sex worker asks them to do in order to make the booking both safe and enjoyable for them. Um, sure, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, was there anything else you wanted to call out, Cameron, while you're on the air? No, but just, again, to ask for government assistance for us, for marginalised communities. We have marginalised communities with our own, within our own community, such as Indigenous sex workers, and they need special help and attention, as do all marginalised communities. So if the government could look again at their stimulus package and at their relief handouts and them a bit more we'd be very grateful for that thank you Cameron before we let you go uh, do you have any advice for the rest of us um, just good safe sex practices that we all should be following during COVID okay well if you go to the New South Wales Health website on the virus it's very detailed and it's, it's excellent actually and you read through the things you're going to do and then you transfer those into a sex workspace okay and you basically got your rules there, but it's social distancing, um, not not um, coughing on people, not sneezing on people, keeping surfaces clean, washing your hands all the time, so before and after sex. Somebody told me how many times during sex. I think you know, during <laughs> sex is just, yeah, but yeah, it's a matter of being sensible. You can go to our website, our Facebook page, and we've got information specifically for sex workers there, as have other organisations. And we'll be putting more up as it comes to hand and as we know more about the virus. Well, I hope you stay safe during this, um, during this pandemic. Thank you so much for talking to us this morning, Cameron. You too. Thank you. That was Cameron Cox, the CEO of Sex Workers Outreach Project, to discuss the ways in which the coronavirus is impacting the sex work industry. That's all we've got for the show today. Another big thanks to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Pip Leeson, and... 
Millie Roberts. Mm. And thank you, thanks again to our guests, Isabella Kwai and Cameron Cox. We'll catch you next week, but before we do, we're going to play a song, and this week it's my favourite song. No. We're not? <laughs> not playing your favourite song. No. Dealing, so close, yet so far. Did you not stress of me on the, on the computer system? That's true, I did. But we're going to go to my favourite song of, course of the we week. Are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be playing Thelma Plum's uh, Better in Black. Okay. Everyone keep safe. We're actually going to go on a bit of a break um, yeah, for a couple of weeks. Three weeks. We are all isolating ourselves yeah. <laughs> individually on Backchat. But yeah, keep safe, guys. Um, you know, keep listening to the radio. Keep supporting your local businesses. Um, I'm sure it will work out, yeah? Of course. This is Thelma Plum, Better in Black. Catch you all soon. Bye. Bye.